0: As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad?
1: Why you mad? Why you mad?
0: Hey, Louisa, what's up?
1: Hi, Jake. How you doing, man?
0: I'm pretty good. Uh, it's day three of the tour. Uh, what's it I off?
1: No. And we haven't fucking checked in or talked to each other in like two weeks, right? Yeah. Because f- we didn't do an episode last week.
0: Yeah. The first week was real wonky.
1: So ha- you've been on tour a whole week already?
0: Well, here's what happened. Like, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, Tell me about it.
0: I uh, and I don't want this to sound like I'm complaining because this is 100% my fault. But I planned on going to Austin to hang out and see some friends and stuff and to do some shows because I knew I'd get on stage a lot during um, the week leading up to the tour, basically. And I did, I got on some stages and stuff, and I think I got some work done or whatever material-wise. But I also was like, I kind of put a word out on Facebook, and I was like, I think I was pretty specific in my wording, and I was like, I need, if anyone I know has a guest room these days, like a guest room. So I'm old now, I can't do the couch thing. I'm not in Couch City no more. And, uh, you know, so please, if you have a guest room, hit me up because uh, I kind of want, I need to get some work done also during the day, like podcasting and stuff like that while I'm there. And um, my buddy Joe Stats, uh, who I love dearly, is my old drinking buddy. And like he hit me up and he went, uh, I got you. <laughs> and I was like, fucking tight. I don't know what his life is like right now. Um, but Uh-oh. I showed up uh, <laughs> and he was like, here's the couch. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. But I thought I specifically and I was like, you know, I never followed up with him i think yeah. he just went i got a place for you and stuff and so i um <laughs> you know i was like fuck all right i'm like already kind of gonna be couch surfing and gonna be feeling kind of precarious as this thing starts and it's hard if you're like living in someone's living room to do like podcasts and stuff because they're like yeah there you know what i mean and so uh this is kind of crashing on his couch and stuff and um that's why I was just like, ah, the podcasts I got to skip that week, I think. I mean, I was also just like incredibly stressed out trying to get ready for this tour and not in like a way where I was like, like I was kind of talking to people about it and they were like, oh, you'll be fine, you know? And I'm like, when I get, when I go on a tour like this, <clears throat> and this is the biggest tour I've ever done, like I get into like a hyper like stressed out mode, but it is not imposter syndrome it's not like oh my god i'm gonna do a bad job or like you know oh what's what if it's terrible or whatever it's like, just like
1: 100 percent on point like i gotta be there i'm like yeah.
0: fucking rolling the thing over in my head over and over and over and, yeah. over again. and i'm like how does it work how does this show work because every show is different and like with tours like this it's like its own beast like i was like what am i do i what type of jokes is that are the internet people gonna show up do i do internet jokes well,
1: Dude, even before that, as a producer, I want to know, is it like you go and then the bands go or you go in between all the bands or you the bands go that are opening and then you go and then Eve six or what's the deal?
0: So I got the run a show kind of like the week before and then I started thinking okay. about it and basically what it, what, what it is. And I think they were like flexible even like they were, you know, kind of like if you don't, this doesn't work, you don't want to do it. You want to do yeah. it a different way? We can do it this way, but I was like, "No, this makes sense." I'll like, are you even
1: seeing the whole show? Yeah, I want to tell of. me. Tell me.
0: So there's yeah, two, okay. So there's two bands, right? Um, okay. E6 is the headliner. Middle act is this band called We Are the Union. It's this big ass ska band. It's really cool. Uh so I go first, right? I go out and I go, "Hey, welcome to the show!" Yeah, yeah. I do 15 minutes, and then I lead in, and then the second band's already set up, so I could just go make some noise for we are the union and then they kind of walk on yeah i'm like yeah and then there's a changeover after they're set but they play music so
1: you have to fill that time
0: no there's a no. changeover okay. like we're just people are on stage just re-hooking up and my uh, yeah. music instruments and shit like that and then after that changeover i come back and i'm like what's up it's me again and i do some jokes and stuff and then i like the reason the changeover happens is so it's completely set up to where when I'm done I can go eve 6 and then eve 6 comes on and uh so it's like two little chunks you know what I mean and yeah 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 they're different one of them is a cold open and one of them is hey remember me you know yeah and uh, so that's like a lot to take into consideration like especially like two jokes I mean I have callbacks and stuff so I was thinking yeah. like making set lists and going Oh, I can't do a setup in the first joke and then call back to it or in the first set and call and back to it. But
1: you could do it in the second one, maybe. No, but right? it
0: kind of you be oh, risky, though, because yeah. it's like, what if people got there late and stuff? They wouldn't get right. it. There's just all this interesting shit to move around. And at the same time, this is all happening. I also found out how much money I was going to have to pay in taxes, which is fucking a lot. <laughs> how
1: do you find out how much money you have to pay in taxes?
0: My guy just decided to throw the number at me like this last week when I was already like stressed oh. out about this shit. And I, it just completely fucking freaked me out. And then also, some really weird stuff happened with my living situation. And it's like, that might go on it. So, all this shit was happening at the same time. And I was like, really like, and I kind of couldn't get a moment alone to myself, which is I'm very much like, I need to go be alone to like center myself. But I like threw myself into the situation. My decision, um, by the way, I told, take full responsibility for it. I threw myself into the situation of going back to my hometown and then like you know every second is just you're just being you're just milling around in bars and holy shit and somebody's coming up to you and they're like well it's you uh, what's up let's hang out and you like just immediately get sucked back into these conversations about like man i'm not getting booked enough or they don't, they don't book right at this place or whatever <laughs> and i'm just like what the fuck so <laughs> i got so stressed out about it that i uh i went and I just bought, and I have some cash laying around. I'm about to make a lot of money off this tour, you know, before I figure out all that other stuff when I get back. It's still kind of sitting there. So I just threw myself in a roach motel for a couple of days so I could get some oh, work yeah. done. But you were, by, I think you were out of town at this point, so we couldn't do a you yeah. ad, but I did, like, other stuff. Yeah. And I just really just, like, sweated it out and hung out in this hotel room by this side of the road and, like, watched traffic go by and was like, I'd do a show, (laughs) I'd be hung over all day just like fucking freaking out and working out all this stuff in my head and then like drag my ass off the mattress to go do the next show and stuff and uh, it was and then (laughs) it it culminated in finally the first show of the tour which was at the Mohawk on Friday and I know I, was, I showed up and I was just feeling really like manic and anxious and stuff. And I was like, I, I, I'm doing all the things though that my brain does to make a show work, which is like look around the room and overanalyze like who's in the audience, you know, what are these people going to react to and all this stuff. Yeah. Should I host this like an MC or should I just be like a comic that's like a singular act or should I be like, what's up, give it up for the band, you know, and all this stuff? What kind of energy should I fucking? be yelling these jokes should I be like telling them deadpan you know and uh I got there and I was just feeling so amped up that I just sort of like went I figured it out I went up I did the whole thing uh the first set and um did a lot of like jokes about Austin and stuff and it went over pretty well and uh you know we are the union and then they go up and I was like all right this kind of works or whatever and then I did the second one and um well okay so another thing that happened is that a buddy of mine who is in, he does like pro wrestling stuff or like indie pro wrestling. My friend Rory, he brought a uh, a fake bottle and he was like, Hey, I brought this. Do you want it? Do you want to do something with this? Like, smash it or whatever? And I was like, um, He told me this like a month ago and I was like, Hell yeah, bring it. And then when he brought it, I was like, Oh man, am I really going to do this? Like, this is like a <laughs> crazy thing to do. And I for, kind of forgot that I was like, yeah, bring it to the show or whatever. And he fucking brought it up to me. And I, at first I was like, listen, the reality of this tour just hit me. And like. I have just, to work. Like, <laughs> yeah. Stage workers up there and like pedals and yeah. stuff. And I was like, I don't, I, I'm not sure. And then I went and I told Eve Six guy who I just met for the first yeah. time, like in real life.
1: Max or another Eve 6 guy? Max.
0: When I say Eve 6 okay. guy, I mean. Yeah. Max. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, well, because
1: there's John. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Go on. <laughs>
0: I told Max. I was... See,
1: I should be the one on this tour, even though I have no skills in performative arts.
0: No, I. Uh...
1: <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I know <laughs> their on. names.
0: I call Max <laughs> yeah. the guy from Eve Six as a bitch. I know
1: it's funny. Everyone
0: yeah. calls him that because it's funny to go who the you know. So he's got a doesn't he have like a advice column now
1: as yeah. the guy from Eve Six gives you advice yeah. or some shit like that? Yeah, it's being
0: tweeted out by Marianne Williams said it's crazy. <laughs> Hilarious. So, so I but I went and I told him about the bottle thing, and I was like, I, you know, I, I was like, I don't have to do this. It's just this fucking crazy thing that happened. And he was like dude, fucking do it, right? <laughs> and, like I told you know, the other rest of the band, and then I went and told like security, like, is this is okay? And they were like, yeah, you know, I can't see any reason not to, just we'll sweep it up afterwards. And so then I was like, what's the bit going to be? Should I just have it on stage, and it's like on the bar stool, and then at one point I just break it over my head like as a punchline or something? And I ended up kind of working out this thing And I was like, oh, it'd be funny if somebody rushed the stage and did the Will Smith thing. Because I have a joke now about the Will Smith thing. And... It'd be funny as a callback to that if I just cl- ended my set by someone going, by me making a joke that kind of leads into someone going, take my wife's name out, and then I was yeah. thinking about how much I fucking love my buddy Joe Stats, this comic, you know, who was saying he let me crash his couch and stuff, and I was just like, man, like, this guy, <laughs> I want to do a thing for him, you know, because he's just like, I, it's so funny because he's like, He's a, he's a train wreck just like me like we're just like these messy you know drunk guys or whatever, but he like but he's a good friend and like you know that's why he was like yeah sure I got you anytime you know couch or whatever, and I was like um <laughs> thinking about it and he was at the show and I got him in and hanging out with him and stuff and I was like this would be a really fun way to like end this trip to Austin is to be like. You know, get my old buddy here because he knows how to do like weird combat trading stuff like that, like stage combat and stuff just from weird. He's had a strange life. And uh so then, yeah, he I did, did a, the Will Smith joke. And then it ends with get my wife's name out your motherfucking mouth. And he, he smashed the bottle over my head. And then I went, Eve six, everyone. And it's, <laughs> it's just this a strange, absurd thing. And it was cool. Um, but I, I, where I'm at right now is I still was like, I don't know what a tour bus is. I don't know how they work. I was still like really fucking filled with like this stress energy. And then last night when we played Dallas, I like, I re, you know, went over everything in my head and I figured out what the audience was like and stuff and what works and what doesn't. And I did the first set and then immediately it all went away and I was like, Okay, I get it now. I get entirely what this weird show is with me and the ska band and Eve Six and stuff. And now I'm, like, feeling really good. But it's it's crazy what a process that is. Because I think, as weird as that sounds, if you're a comic, that probably doesn't sound that dissimilar from when you're working a week at a club and the first show, you kind of don't know, like, oh, does the feature work with the opener? How should I fucking... What jokes should I do? What's the vibe? And then, like you know, you figure it out over the course of a week. And what's funny about working a week at a comedy club with somebody is by the end of the week, you've got this great show you've worked out and then it's over, you know? Um, but I feel pretty good right now. And I think that it was all that stuff was just my brain trying to make it all come together and figure out like, how do I host this? You know,
1: I, I, fucking love so much about what you just said and it's so weird to me okay well first of all kudos to me for mostly not interrupting <laughs> getting, getting so much better at this i, I, uh, I appreciate i did see uh, that you were doing right it. Thank i got you better much. i made notes i made notes i was like i have things to touch upon after jake is done i will finish i will let i will wait um and the times i do interrupt i want to say is like it's not a talking over you thing it's a It's a hype man kind of thing where I want to like add (laughs) onto it, you know, and I'm like, hell yeah, I agree. (laughs) Here's the thing that I can throw into that. But anyway, um, it's super funny to me that you ended everything you, you were just saying with like comparing it to what it must be like to do a club weekend, you know? Yeah. Because to me, everything you were saying I'm not saying you're wrong because I'm sure that the club weekend people do have something to relate to and what you were saying. But as you were talking, what I was hearing was just like such an ad for the alt. Okay. And hear me out because, you know, when people talk about like alt comedy, even when we talk like any of us in comedy or outside of comedy, it's sort of like a caricature kind of like thing where we're sort of mocking it. Right. But in reality alt comedy just means like comedy that is happening in spaces that are not the traditional gate kept industry spaces period that is all that it means you know what I mean and so you doing this show where you're opening for musicians and I don't even know where to start because like A super interesting thing about it is that it is super alt in the sense that it is you as a performer putting yourself outside of your comfort space or like, what is it? What do you call it? Your comfort zone. Yeah. Right. Uh, Because to be honest with you, I do think uh, working a weekend at a new club or doing fucking a showcase in New York city or in your hometown, that is your comfort zone being around your peers who book you is your comfort zone. Yeah. Not you particularly, but any comic as a comic. Yeah yeah, but then going and doing something like opening for a band or a couple of bands. And then, on top of that, like, so what what was super interesting about what you were saying is that you're kind of having to do this thing where you're both the MC and the headliner, <laughs> right? And so it's not just about like you have to come with jokes and be funny and do good as a headliner. But it's also your responsibility to set everyone up after you who does a good to do a good job. yeah, it just happens to be that they're musicians, not comedians. So it's like this weird fucked up thing where you like I say fucked up because I don't think there are other scenarios unless you're like a producer of a show, I guess that's the only other scenario where you're both a performer who has to perform well and a host who has to take on the responsibility for like the rest of the show going well. Right. Yeah. And that's such a, like, that's going to the gym. You know what I mean? Like that's hard. That's fucking, it's different than showing up for a weekend, let's say as a headliner and just expecting the middle and the opener to work for you and shit to be perfect or showing up as a middle or an opener and being unsure and not knowing what's happening but you still kind of like exist within a hierarchy of comedy and what's happening. But uh, how much do you know about Eugene Merman?
0: A little bit, but I feel like you're about to tell us that I don't know about him. Uh,
1: Well, okay. So Eugene, uh, I don't know him personally, but uh, he is of like, I guess that first alt comedy wave that made it big. Yeah. Right. Because that wave includes, like, him, Kristen Schaal, Kurt Braunohler, uh what's-his-face with all the boys. Like, there's, like, a bunch of them, right? Yeah. Uh, but Eugene Merman, he is interesting in the Why You Mad way in a lot of ways. Like, in one way, he is a first-generation American, I believe, Russian immigrant child, yeah. right? And he went to some fucking college. I don't know, Bernard or some one of those fucking ones and he uh ended up creating his own major so he went to one of these liberal art colleges where he was able to create his own major and he created the major of comedy (laughs) so he is like one of the first people in the country maybe the world to have a bachelor's degree in comedy yeah okay and he uh came up i would say in a lot of ways through this version where he was opening for bands (laughs) and he was like uh, because he was like a music boy I don't know he somehow had a bridge into opening for musicians and he developed his comedy I think in this space that you're talking about where you're like weirdly the only one who's trying to make people laugh in between people who are trying to play music that stirs up your feelings and your memories or whatever, you know? And um, I just think that part of, I mean, I don't know if you would agree, but I do think that Merman is one of the exemplars. uh, And later in history, we will see him as one who has had a career path where he has succeeded in terms of the traditional gatekeeping paths, but he came to them through making his own alt paths yeah you get me and uh this experience that you're having now just sounds a lot to me like like that that same kind of thing you know and like uh so recently somebody told me uh I started so we had our first Gary goldman show. It's called the it's called Pizzazz. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's for what it. it's called it now. Cool. Yeah, and we're doing it at baby's All Right, which is primarily a music venue. And then somebody said to me, like, Oh yeah, you know, like, well, you're the producer that's known for doing these alt shows and music venues. <gasps> and I was like, Oh shit, what? Oh, yeah, <laughs> like <you are. laughs> I didn't yeah, dude, I didn't do it on purpose, but it's true. I I do mostly run shows in music venues like off the beaten path right yeah yeah uh i find the spaces that are not meant for comedy but therefore are like unique and nobody's pressuring you to be anything other than whatever you bring to the stage and then hearing you talk about this experience kind of just like reaffirms to me about, like, how the alt is good. Is that crazy? Am I am yeah, no, like, what do you
0: think about that? It's cool. And, like, I kind of think... You know, I was thinking about this a lot because, like, I was thinking... Max, the guy from E6... Took such a leap of faith in booking me. He had never met me. And he, you know, like, he probably listened to my album online or something, or, you know, one or two of them, or like, watched my clips. But I don't put that much of my shit online. Like, when people like hate me on the internet and they're like, you just. Really, worst clips of all time. I'm like, yeah, they're not very good clips, are they? Because I don't film myself doing stand up. Yeah, and they're like, fine. They're obviously they're over exaggerating, but like, no,
1: you're you're uh, you had to be there.
0: i mean, you had to be there is my philosophy yeah. in comedy. Like, I just yeah. don't like fucking the the you know TikTok thing or whatever. I might yeah. do it some on this tour because we're filming a lot of stuff. But um, you know, I also just kind of lazy about it. So like, you just took a leap of faith and, and like um, I but I I think this could have gone wrong if he picked the wrong comic, but I am good for this because I have done a lot of stuff like this. And that's why I knew not to just show up like it was a comedy club and do my fucking set. Like yeah. it was a comedy club because you know, that's what a lot of comics would have just done because they do one thing. But I tour with Mishka and I, you know, I came up in Austin and I do all these music festivals yeah. and stuff. I've been on the stage at Mohawk before in fact, and like had done a lot of this stuff and so it just happened. Stan, it's like the the picked the right guy for it, or maybe he fucking had an intuition for it and he figured that out. But yeah. I, what's really funny about this is that I am in musicians' comedy club right now. I'm in their safe space, and I think that they are learning about my process, like while we hang out in the van and stuff or in the, <laughs> the bus, because for yeah. them they just show up and they play the set. And I'm reducing- That they already prepared.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like super set in stone kind of, yeah.
0: I'm not reducing what they do. I'm sure- No, no, no. They super
1: practiced it a bunch of times, but But comedy's more fluid in the moment.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and what I'm saying about that is, I bet they just thought that for me to do a set is the same thing, and I very well could have treated it that way. And a lot of people would have and would have probably had a lot of off sets during a thing like this but like i i because i'm i'm outside of my comfort zone and i'm in theirs or whatever it's been interesting for them to go oh the comic doesn't just go up and do the same jokes every night like he's this weird guy that's like neurotically scribbling in a notebook staring around the room <laughs> trying to figure out whose hat to make fun of or whatever you know or like uh looking at you know how the acoustics work and whether to yell a certain way or whatever and shit. And it's like, it's all, it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause we're kind of doing two different things, but they're totally down, you know, and they're yeah. not like pretentious and, and, you know, they're we're all, it's all very positive and stuff. I think we're like learning a lot of stuff from each other. So it's, it's cool, you know?
1: Um, I mean, I fucking love it. I can't wait to see you guys, uh, next week or two weeks from now. But I mean, what you're saying, two things. One is, um, Part of what you're saying is why one-person shows don't ever really hit the highest notes for me, Mm -hmm. right? Is because I think every stand-up comedian is capable of doing a one-person show, which means going into this like rote, tried and true, I know this arc works, I know this punchline works, I can just do this. And, you know, when you said, like, oh, maybe they, and maybe some comics would go into this and then they would have some bad sets. I think, like, it's worth stopping to say to people (laughs) who might not know what this means is like, sometimes, like, if you watch enough stand up, you can see when a comic kind of checks out on stage. And then they are just repeating lines that they have memorized. And then they do the, like, pause automatically for laughter or applause, even if it doesn't come. And then they, like, move on. Even if there's an interruption, they just, like, barrel through. You get me? To me, that's a one-person show where the audience is irrelevant and the person on stage knows their lines and they're going to do their lines and they're going to hit their marks and they're going to do what they have to do. And I, of course, do understand that there is a skill to doing that. But what I appreciate about stand-up is that I think really good stand-up is when the person on stage is able to take the temperature of the room and react to the room in the moment and adapt the set list and the material that they came with or disregard it completely to attend to the energy and the thing that is happening in the room. Yeah. Like, that is stand-up. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's active. So. It's yeah. Passive. It's like an active exchange, a dialectic exchange with the audience, not uh, I'm talking at you. You get me? Yeah. And and I'm I'm hesitant to say that because I think that like people who think that like hecklers are good would agree with me right now. But I'm like, I am not <laughs> I am not saying hecklers are good. You do not have a position in the dialectic to be an individual speaker interrupting the performance. It's about the fact It's about the dialectic between the performer and the room entirely, not any one person being a shithead trying to interrupt it. Yeah. And I think the best of the best are the ones that are honestly throwing it back in the why you mad way. They're in the present, Jake, like those of you who are living this way, you're in the present. You're not worried about the past, meaning what you wrote down that was supposed to happen and how it's supposed to go and you're not worried about the future meaning like how this is going to reflect on you who's going to tape it who's going to say some shit you're in the present yeah. reacting to the current room and the current energy and making something funny in light of that while also working in the jokes you've already worked out the skills you already know for crowd work and for getting people excited etc
0: yeah i don't know i i literally was about to just bring it all the way back to why you mad shit (laughs) and mentioned that like when you talk about the one man show thing of a comic barreling through a set and just reciting it I know that impulse and I know what it is and I don't like it I think it's bad I think it's trad it's (laughs) what it is is what you're thinking when you're feeling self-conscious and you're on stage and you're like kind of feeling threatened on some like level uh with Being, you know, considered a failure at this set, the logic that goes in through your head that gets you to just barreling through your set is, well, if I just do all of the jokes, no one can say I didn't do my act, you know, like. People can get mad at me if I went off and I mumbled and I forgot how to speak English and I fucking, you know, didn't do my set. But if I just do it, I'm a comedian and I did my set and the audience. And I can
1: point to specific (laughs) punchlines. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: I can say, oh, the audience didn't like my set or whatever. And I feel like that is the same logic that people hide inside of when they get into the trad stuff of like, you know, I mean, we're always talking about this like path in life that diverges where it's like you know people go get married or not and uh or people settle down or not and stuff like that and i feel like a lot of people that i know that settle down the comfort that they get out of it is alleviating the stress of having an active role in your life and what you do is you go well, listen, you can't be that mad at me. I did what you're supposed to do. I got yeah. married and got a house and all this stuff. I barreled through my life, like I said. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then all this exactly. bad stuff that's happening can't be assigned. I can't get the blame for it's it. It's
1: not my fault. Yeah. But, yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah. a
0: blame thing or something. Yeah. It, it, it makes you feel like it's not on you and the heat isn't on you and stuff. And so you can then whatever that, that that evolves into blaming other shit, which turning on the room. Yeah, totally. Right.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, actually you just explained to me where turning on the room comes from because I had always just thought of it as an ego thing of just like being so secure in what you think you're like, what you think of your jokes or maybe being in such a, uh silo of like being like a club guy or something and the club tourist audiences always laugh at this and then you go to brooklyn and these younger and more hip knowledgeable audiences are like that's not funny so then you get mad at them and i always just explain this to myself as like ego based yeah it is ego it is ego but now i realize it's also uh mechanics right Of just like you set yourself up to fail because you didn't listen to the room. You just like barreled through whatever works wherever else you normally work. And then you turned around and were like, not my fault. I do what always works. This room is dumb. These people suck. Brooklyn sucks. <laughs> you know. And I was like, ah, how about you don't listen? And you were actually doing the thing you claim to hate, a one-man show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you're just not ready to, to really. Be honest with yourself about the fact that you didn't yeah. do the job, which is to read the fucking room and adjust accordingly, and to have had a bunch of tools in your toolkit that you built before that that you could then look at to and make use you to capable to it. deal with this. Yeah. Because yeah. I got this exactly. massively rotating set list every time I do a tour like this where I'm like, yeah. s- every show I switch stuff around because I'm like, what's going to work it. tonight and which isn't. And like, Tomorrow, my parents are going to come to the show, so I'm not going to do the cum joke about eating cum, but (laughs) (laughs) that's because they're part of the
1: audience. (laughs) This is kind of uh, related to this. So I went to Philadelphia this month, this week, I don't know, whatever, for a wedding. Oh, interesting. Oh, let me throw it out as quickly as possible and as inoffensively as possible, but check this out, Jake. Uh I went to a wedding for um, a cousin of my lover's, okay? My lover's cousin. Uh Uh-huh uh it's like the third wedding you've got, ever
0: been to, or something, right?
1: Yeah, it's like the no, but it's not even a wedding because it wasn't the wedding. They got married during the pandemic. Okay. And then this is their reception, got right? It. Because like they hadn't had a party. So then it turns out like they live in Alaska. So they had a reception in Alaska. So this is like the interstates, you know, what is it? The mainland. <laughs> I'm fucking one. Uh-huh. Right. Turns out, uh, the bride, so, you know, I went as, like, the date of a family member, you get me? So, I'm thinking, like, nobody gives a shit about anything I'm doing. (laughs) I'm high as shit. I'm just like, hey, what's up? I'm talking to the old people, having a great time. I said hi to the bride for, like, a second. She seemed busy. It's her day, you know? So, I moved on. I talked to other people. Later, I heard that the bride listens to why you mad Jake. Whoa. yeah and that she specifically told someone that like no she loves her podcast she doesn't always agree with me but she likes me a lot and it's like no that's fine of course you got married
0: of yeah. course you don't agree
1: <laughs> agree with me i get
0: that like, a lot and also yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. You got married
1: <laughs> totally it's fine not judging it's great enjoyed your party and Uh, Okay, so I'm at this Philly wedding and, uh, you know, it's great. Had a good time. And then uh, my lover says to me, because I was expressing how interesting Philly was, because it has like a different kind of energy, different kind of vibe. He says to me, have you ever seen the Bill Burr clip when he's performing in Philly and he just like turns on the room and he yells at everyone? Yeah, hell yeah. (laughs) You've seen that? Have you seen it? Of
0: course. Classic.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) So I had forgotten it. But what is very funny about that clip is that. There is nothing more in the moment, I think, because he so what happens for people who haven't seen the clip is that uh, before Bill Burr goes up, uh, Dom Herrera goes up and Dom Herrera is a hilarious, you know, respected older comedian. And apparently he got booed in Philadelphia (laughs) and Dom Herrera gets off and Bill Burr goes up and Bill Burr goes up and he just immediately is like. Fuck all of you. This city sucks. I'm not going to do jokes for you. You are fucking stupid motherfuckers. (laughs) And like he starts insulting their sports teams, their fucking whatever. (laughs) So he basically throws out and I believe it's part of a festival, right? So it's like an important thing that he's getting paid for. Yeah. And he throws out whatever he had prepared to do as a comic. And instead, he comes out with a full force of his fury at how they had disrespected an elder in his industry. And he shits on their city. He shits on them as people. He individually picks on people in the room to be like, you fucking suck. Mm -hmm. Uh, Picks on like everything, their fucking bell, (laughs) like everything. And it's like a 15 minute thing where at the beginning he's getting booed and he's fighting them and the audience is their antagonist. You get me? But by the end, the audience is fully laughing and is just like completely won over by this person who didn't think my job is to walk in here to do my perfect jokes that I worked for many months on. My job is to prove to you that I run this room, not you. And whatever I have to do to do that, I will do that if yeah. it means having to insult you or to be the fucking alpha <laughs> or whatever I have to do, I will do that. Yeah. And that honestly sets up the next comic to succeed. Right. right. Because he fucking didn't bow down and cry about how the room and destroyed him. And isn't funny enough. <laughs> He's <was> like, no,
0: nah,
1: <laughs> I'm going to crush you. And then you're going to be respectful to the next fucking comic, or I'm going to come out here and fucking crush you again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was fantastic. What
0: yeah. do you think? Oh, yeah. No, totally. Because I could totally imagine what a more cowardly comic would do in that situation, which is like just ignore it or something, or like go like. Just
1: barrel through their set. Or, would be one option, the or, cowardly comic.
0: Or throw the comic under the bus behind him and go, like, yeah. that guy, you know?
1: Uh-huh, make fun of the person. Before, or or throw a hissy fit and be like, you guys, ooh, you guys just don't get it. I can't win you over. And, like, really turn on the room. Like, what Bill Burr did was not <laughs> turn on the room. Yeah, He dominated the room. Totally. Turning on the room is whining about how they don't get it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's like... That's why it's so fun to watch, though, because it's like... Just a heroic massive example of that. It's like watching mm-hmm. somebody just move a huge object or something in the other direction. You're like, wow, you know, holy shit, this really knows how to do stand-up. He knows how to do stand-up yeah. in the sense that we were talking about just now. Um man, okay. I have another thing that happened recently. Can I tell you about it? Tell me. Um Well, two things happened. And I think they're kind of related. I'm mashing them up in my head right now. So the other thing that happened is when I was in Austin. I always also have a huge existential crisis when I go back there because it's where I spent my salad days, you know, when I was a 20 something (laughs) spry idiot and I didn't fucking have a, you know, to think about the future ever and stuff. So I always just get really melancholy about it. And I, uh, I went and like ate at this 24 hour diner that isn't 24 hours anymore in the middle of the day. And I was like, Oh, the food here sucks. I had no idea. I've been drunk every time I've been here and all this stuff happened. And I mainly, I just, I was talking to comics and it was bumming me out because I kind of, my theory of what happened with me in terms of my relationship to the comics in my own scene back in Austin, my own origin scene is, um, I guess the way I, the metaphor I would use to describe it, and I've kind of got this on the brain because I just watched Wild at Heart, which is a movie where David Lynch uses this same metaphor, he uses the Wizard of Oz, is the Wizard <laughs> of Oz. And I was thinking about how like when you live in the Oz world outside of the palace with, you know, the, the road and everything and uh, the munchkins and the fucking Tin Man and the lion and all that shit, you know, you live in this world that is all d- oriented towards this goal, you know, and everyone is like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow the Eldrick road and I'm going to get there someday. And when you're in like a mid-level comedy town, there is this vibe of everyone's just like, yeah, you know, when I do it, it's going to be awesome. And like, we all just got to keep working because we're going to make it. And when we make it, we're all going to do this, that, and the other. We're going to take each other with their, you know, with each other. Uh, when I do it and it's like crazy because it's like some of these people are like in their 30s and 40s and you're like well when are you gonna do it you know and I remember thinking about this when I was younger and I was like okay 27 years old I'm gonna go do it and I went <laughs> to New York and immediately like I remember thinking like all right I'm gonna try really hard at this I'm gonna barrel you know through this system I'm gonna like climb it like a dojo like all the things that people romanticize about the comedy business you know and then like immediately realized it was bullshit in like a lot of ways and like you know realized that the comedy clubs are owned by dickheads and stuff and that like the main thing was realizing that everyone who makes it is rich and that you know people don't understand capitalism and they think it's a meritocracy and all this stuff and like you know so i saw all the insides of the thing and i also like saw like the greater lessons that are to be gleaned from that and i had like a really nice life for a while <laughs> where i had a, a really a relationship i enjoyed a lot and a job i liked a lot and i remember just being like i don't care it's funny i came here to do the damn thing and i immediately was like oh there's more to life and you can still do comedy and have you know you're like i figured it out you can enjoy art right in yeah. a way that is not tied to this fucking path this yellow brick road and so the <laughs> when i go back and I and I really like I was, like I feel like I saw the thing that we're all talking about. I feel like I saw the you know you know the end of the Wizard of Oz as you go see the wizard and then immediately realize he's not really a wizard. He's a little guy with a projection screen and stuff, and it's fake. I feel like I when I go back to Austin, I'm like, hey guys, like I want to tell everyone I went to that thing we're always talking about, and he's not really a wizard. It's fake. It's like a bullshit. whatever, but I learned all these lessons and it's not important to be obsessed with going down the road and getting into the castle. And all these people, in response to me coming back and sharing my wisdom with them, the way they respond is yes it is, it's real. And I'm like, wait, but fuck you, like I'm telling you, I saw it. And like I'm I'm the guy like, I went in the thing you're talking about, but people need like the power of belief, like so much to remain in the little Oz world outside. And so like all these comics, I almost like feel bad. Like I almost feel like at first I want to blow the whistle and go, you guys, I need to tell you that the the comedy thing that we all believe we're going to do isn't real. Like only rich people are allowed <laughs> to do it. We're all barbacks. Like none of us are capable of doing this and it's not your fault. It's not because you're a bad comic, but They literally will just be like, no, but I'm going to make it, you know, and they'll just sort of like brush it all off. And I'm like, man, okay. You know what? Maybe I'm even an asshole if I try to tell you this isn't how it is. Maybe uh,
1: Jake, it's like being an atheist, honestly.
0: Exactly like, like it. I was thinking about faith yeah. all weekend because it was fucking Easter yeah. while this was happening and I was like, you guys are like Christians. Like you need to believe right, but, in something.
1: But <laughs> totally. But okay, as your oldest older eight oldest maybe older atheist friend, I would say to you, we have to come to a point where we recognize that Religion does provide a benefit to some people that is worth
0: it. That's totally like what it I is, felt like.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's like, ah, I have to respect that you need the hope. Yeah. Even if I recognize that it is false hope and that I'm comforted by confronting the truth of the hope being false, I have to accept that some people are comforted by the hope itself yeah and it is shitty of me to take it away from them, so I don't know. I don't know, like
0: that's exactly the conclusion I came to like after a while, yeah. I was like, you know what? will it do anyone any better if I convince them that it's like their thing that they that keeps them or like centered thinking about this end yeah. goal all the time this like heaven's fucking gates thing, like
1: yeah, like maybe their goal they need that goal, right, and maybe some, you and I maybe are like process people who are like we don't need this fake goal we can enjoy the process for itself and maybe both of us are getting the same thing from it and it's shitty of (sighs) us to point out to them well i kind of feel like carrot they're chasing is (laughs) fake
0: (laughs) i can't figure out which way i feel about it because on the one hand like, you could argue that I know the truth and it's made me a pretty neurotic, miserable person. Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> on the other hand. You, same, 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 same. <laughs>
0: but, I, but also, I mean, uh, you know, I remember that time in my life, like, before really shit got really gnarly for other reasons, like, where I was like, yeah, i don't give a fuck Comedy's whatever. And, you know, I had this whole thing going on and I was like bartending at a job I really liked and all this stuff. And I was like. I also feel like I was a very happy atheist at that point and was like, I'm glad that I no longer am involved in this process of chasing an impossible thing because now that frees me up to do all these worthwhile things and stuff and have like this existential happiness that I do think is possible. But then oh, it yeah. ended kind of. So like, I don't know. It's a huge conundrum. And it also, I was thinking about this also because I watched this movie on the plane down there called pig. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah.
1: <gasps> Oh my god, Jake. I loved it. Yes. Tell me, it me ruled. what you thought about Pig. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Tell me what you thought about Pig. <laughs> yes. Let's end this podcast on Pig. <laughs> totally.
0: It's a totally Why You Mad movie.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a
0: great film. It's one of the million Nicolas Cage movies in the world. And like he said it was like it's one of his favorite roles. It's a it's also
1: a- pause. We have to go see the unbearable weight of incredible talent or whatever. No. Have you seen that? No. Have you seen Oh, my God. It comes out on Friday. We have to go see it. It is a quick synopsis. It is a movie starring Nicolas Cage in which he plays himself. Nicolas oh, Cage. yeah. And somebody asks him to basically, like, come be a guy like some guy that has a lot of money is like i'll pay you a lot of money to hang out with me because you're nicholas cage you know what i mean so he does and then he ends up getting involved in all this like criminal shit and so then the fbi is like you're Nicolas cage you're you've gotten the closest to this criminal now you have to be undercover so he's like a real him doing all of the bullshit he did in all his movies where he now has to for real act cool around some drug trafficker or whatever <laughs> to like <laughs> fantastic i love it it's a real artist dilemma movie yeah my favorite we gotta go watch it and do a whole episode maybe for patreon Hmm.
0: we totally should that sounds awesome um for anyone that hasn't seen pig uh you should probably spoilers maybe watch. maybe yeah. turn off the podcast and watch it but um it's a really excellent kind of high concept story it's basically it sets up it opens on this old grizzled guy, Nichols Cage, who has a truffle pig. And he hangs out in the woods and he uses the pig to hunt for truffles. And that's all you kind of know about him. And then someone steals his pig. So meth heads break into his little farm, whatever, outpost thing, steal his pig. And then I think this, the clever premise of the movie is that it sets up what you think is going to be a John Wick revenge film.
1: <laughs> totally. <laughs> action
0: film type situation. Yeah. He's just he's like this really intense guy. He keeps muttering like, I just want a pig. I just <laughs> want a <my> pig.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> And he's got this younger guy who like helps him. He like brings him groceries and stuff like that. Well,
1: he's, he's the guy. He doesn't just help him. He is making money. Like he's the guy that sells the truffles that him and his pig find. That's right. So he's. Yeah. So that young guy has set up his whole. Business and network and money making thing is that he has the connection in the in the in like uh the northwest of the United States to get the best truffles and it's through Nicolas Cage and his
0: pick totally in the northwest lands and yeah. the end of the yellow brick road of yeah. western expansion man they're out there mm-hmm. where fucking dreams end and like he's in the, so he go he go grabs the truffle guy he sells the truffles too he sort of gets involved in this thing where he's like i'm gonna hunt down whoever stole my pig and stuff Hook
1: my pig yeah
0: he goes to a fight club at one point it's really bizarre i don't really understand part yeah. of the movie but uh but it's funny because like the, the the character is you sort of discover an old restaurant industry guy he's like an old restaurant tour. Mm-hmm.
1: he's a chef
0: yeah and, yeah but he also knows like he's like a chef like in the way when a chef is in charge of the whole restaurant like even the dining yeah room like a real like chef. yeah like it's an art to him right yeah and he's just dropping all this really like high-end like culinary knowledge kind of while he's going around going where's my fucking pig to people i just <laughs> want a pig
1: well even before we learn that he's a chef an interesting thing that happens is like the young kid keeps dropping his name as like a a name that people should be impressed by and fearful of and everybody is yeah (laughs) and then you're like oh fuck is he like a serial killer is he like a murder for hire hitman guy like what is he no he is one of the greatest chefs in america is what we end up finding out and that he had like a great restaurant and he quit at the top of his game basically right yeah do you want to take it from there? Because I think there's only one very important scene of this
0: movie. <laughs> like, I think there are two. Well, okay. the most important one probably is what happens next, though, right? Yeah, okay. Right. So he uh, eventually, he figures out maybe that the lead on this pig is at this um, very expensive restaurant.
1: Fancy restaurant, yeah, yeah. That
0: is it. Uh, The kid, wo- the truffle kid works... <laughs> sort of for it or something he supplies them or something. no
1: it is that uh his the kid the truffle kid's dad is a uh investor okay, in yeah, that's that right. restaurant that's right so it's like uh it's a weird thing because so think about it like the truffle kid is on the side with the pig guy right yeah they get the best truffles but then you learn that the kid the truffle kid is not like a poor guy who's doing business. He's a rich kid, son of a restaurateur, business investor dude. And he's trying to prove himself worthy by doing his own thing. So he found the Nicolas Cage connection, but the dad who's the established fucking gatekeeper of restaurants in the Northwest is one of the investors into this restaurant where the main chef is a chef. that was a sous chef to the pig guy. Right yeah so the pig guy when he thinks like who would steal my pig it would be the guy with the biggest restaurant Mm -hmm. who wants to have direct access to all the best fucking truffles so he goes to the restaurant to meet up with the like even and the kid is like oh no i don't know if i can get you in you know like that's my dad's thing like we're not supposed to cross whatever and then nicholas cage is like you need to fucking get me in there to talk to you know and so he goes in and he talks to the the chef who like by everyone else is treated like you're the shit right like you have the biggest restaurant in seattle or where the, yeah, portland i think yeah. is where they are yeah portland and then the chef sits down with him and immediately nicholas cage is like first shitting on his menu <laughs> and like <laughs> shitting on like oh is this really what your dream was <laughs> like immediately recalls that he used to work for him and then when you worked for me, your dream was actually to open, what was it, like a taco shop? And it was no. a
0: pub. A pub. That's what it was. An English pub or like a British pub. Dude, he breaks the guy. He's like, yeah. the guy's putting on a facade of like, yeah, I'm no, this so is- so fancy and successful. Yeah. yeah. Didn't I do it? Like, this is this great yeah. thing. I did the thing you're supposed to do. And like, you know, I yeah. look at this. Oh, he goes, he goes, what's the concept here? You know, just like a, a restaurant yeah. term. Like, what's the concept? And he's like, well, yeah. you know, what we do is we take- locally sourced items that are very normal and basic wah, and all wah, creative wah, wah. And he's just <laughs> yeah. like, bullshit. What do you really want to do in life? I remember uh-huh. you wanted to open a pub. And he's like, Yes. Uh, yeah, I did want to uh- open a pub. <laughs> but I gave all that up because that was a stupid idea and like pubs are yeah. very common and like, you know, they're out of style and all this stuff. And he's just like twisting the knife and going you wanted to open a pub. Why didn't you open a pub? That's what you wanted to do. You know, No,
1: Jake, he says to him, like he goes, uh, because at first the, the chef guy, like he kind of denies it. And he's like, no, this is what I wanted. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to have whatever. And then, uh, Nicholas cage character goes, uh, if you had the pub, what would be your main, what would be your star dish on the pub? And like the guy <laughs> immediately answers with like, I don't know what the fuck it is. Like, it like but he like immediately had the dish, Scotch right? There it was I like, think. yeah. Then like off the top of his head, he's like, this is the thing that I'm good at. That is like the perfect thing I want to share with people. And then he has this like, <gasps> <laughs> like, <laughs> like it all came out of him in- involuntarily. And he is just like, oh shit. Right. I do remember that that was a dream I had and who I really was and like who (laughs) artistically I really wanted to be. And it's like this moment of confronting that he chose the path that was capitalist and equitable and like, good, you know, like would be the thing that would make you money in the traditional external sense. Yeah. But all the while throwing away everything you actually wanted to do. And, and what's funny is, do you remember that like, When the chef first walks up to Nicolas Cage's character, he's like, chef, nice to meet you. I don't know if you remember me. Right. And he's like, I don't know if you remember me. I worked for you briefly. Right. So like he thinks Nicolas Cage's character is so big and so important. He wouldn't even remember him. And Nicolas Cage not only remembers him, but is like, yo, I know that this that I'm looking around at is not who you want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. And he straight up calls him out on it. <laughs> like he's like, I'm here to get my pig, but also I have time. <laughs> I have time to tell you. That this is uh what are you doing here? Amazing, like what an amazing um it is an artist movie because if you think about it, then what it is about is the fact that Nicolas Cage's character is one who got extreme um traditional main um gatekeeper success yeah and didn't find happiness at the end of that road right and so he threw it all away and went to the woods literally to live with his pig who and he he also had like some personal losses and shit but like mainly like he didn't find satisfaction artistically in in the traditional path that brought him all the success so he went off to live with his pig and then other people who wanted traditional capitalist success stole his pig from him. <laughs> <laughs> it's so. It's like it's better than John Wick.
0: Yeah, I think. you know yeah. what? I'm not. We shouldn't even give away the ending because the ending. No, no, no. Extra clever, but like yeah. this was the most important part of the movie, and nothing spoiled if you heard this. Yeah. I mean, watch Pig because watch uh, Pig because the ending is a kind of a clever like flourish on this, but this is truly the climax of the film. Yeah, and like what he's done here and you just god you see it all embodied in this character who's like trying to warn people about what happened to him and like yeah and that the what they're the they're fucking chasing of that dream is also hurting him like it's hurt his took his pig you know the like the entire system that keeps people chasing the fucking thing, going down the yeah. yellow brick road, you know, it like it leads people into acting destructively, even against people that have like worked their way out of it. God, can I tell you one more story? This all reminds me of something. Yeah. Uh, I, I, The only thing I did when I was in Austin is I ran into my friend Tim Murphy, who uh, <laughs> he was my boss when I worked at a bar and he like kind of taught me to bartend. I can't remember if I've told this story on the podcast before. Um, but he, I don't uh, think so. I think he's, he reminded me of the pig guy a lot because <laughs> or vice versa, because um, he's this hard ass dude. He's like a little a little fiery I- Irish guy. And he likes to fucking fight people with stuff. And he's, you know, really quick and witty. And he's like, a, you know, like a mean bartender type guy and he he taught me a lot of what i know while i was working in uh bars and uh trying to build a trade that i could use to go to new york and then like do what i'm doing right and um eventually he became the owner of the bar that i was working at called the grackle or the, the he was the in charge of it at one point he went from manager to then he bought it out or something but anyway he went from coworker to to, oh, suddenly, he's my boss. And because he became my boss, but was my coworker before, he knew something about me, which my other bosses and the owners didn't know, which is that I was planning on leaving and going to New York, right? And so, he's really mean to me about it for a long time. And I couldn't figure out why. I think, he well, you know, well nobody appreciates an employee that's planning on leaving and isn't telling the company. So like maybe that's it. Right. Um, and he knows that I'm stealing some shifts that I don't intend to, you know, commit to (laughs) another year later or whatever like that. And, uh, after a while we started getting like really big fights with each other. And we like, um, you know, we get into screaming matches with each other. We even like punched each other one time, one time I, he uh, punched me at a party and I like, cause I was, but we were joking around, but like went too far. And then like, I'd come into work, you know, and the next day after something like that, and he would just, he's the type of guy who'd just be like, yo, pour him a shot, you know? And he would just put a shot in front of me and be, and then he would be like, punch me in the face, you know, (laughs) to like make it right or whatever. It was like, the most stupid masculine hard ass relationship ever and um I love it but he got so angry at me and one time he was just screaming at me and I was just like what is it what is your fucking problem with me dude and he finally stopped and he told me this story and explained everything and basically what the story was I didn't really think about this very much, but he used to be an actor and that's why he knew some comic friends of mine that were like these other two big guys around town. I was like, Oh yeah. Why does Tim know these two comic guys? I never thought about it. Right? Well, he used to be an actor and he got cast in a Tarantino movie called death proof. That's filmed in Austin and Tarantino swears. One of his things is he claims he's never cut anyone out of a movie Like, he wants to seem like a cool Hollywood guy, so he says that, you know? So, my buddy Tim got cast in this movie, and he's telling me the story, and I've seen that movie. It's a really good Tarantino movie, and it's shot at the Sparkle at the Texas Chili Parlor. And in the movie, um, basically, somebody walks into the bar, they order a drink, and then he he does Tarantino dialogue. And he explains, oh, you want to make it a Texas... Twister, blah, thing. Well, you're going to need this type of liquor. And it's this long, long, long drawn out thing, you know? And it has like a punchline at the end or whatever. Um, but he acted the whole thing out. He told me the whole fucking thing. And I was like, okay, huh. And then he said, yeah. And what happened is when that, when that, when he, so he got paid to do that scene in that movie, right? Pretty big check. And he decided when he was a young actor at that point that he had gotten his first big break, that was gonna launch his acting career. So he took the money and he bought a bar, like a, for your home, you know, stocked it with liquor. I was like, this is gonna be my home base. I'm gonna act, I'm gonna have parties in my house, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then he went and watched the movie when it came out in theaters and found out that he got cut out of Death Proof. He's not in it, right? And that's how he realized like his career wasn't actually starting. And then it doesn't uh, actually lead where you think it's going to lead. And I was like, this is why this guy's been fucking screaming at me and punching me because he knows I'm going to New York to try to be a stand up comedian. Yeah. And he's seen what it can fucking do to you, which is just like this pig guy going, like, fucking, what are you doing? You know, like if yeah. you don't do it right, it'll chew you up and spit you out and yeah. it's going to fucking hurt other people and all this stuff. And like, um, destroy your life. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't know, these. to me, these all these are just like different divergent paths and ways that things can go wrong, you know, but like uh, but then I, you know, then after that, he was like fucking, he really kind of, we talked, you know, talked it over and he was like, fucking go do it, you know, and like see what happens because you gotta, because maybe you can do it and maybe yeah. you will find some kind of happiness that other people don't find, you know.
1: And it's worth listening to the warnings of all the ways that it didn't work out for the people that you know, and not just worth it you should be listening to you shouldn't just be existing in some like rainbow rainbows and clouds kind of fantasy where everything's perfect and you'll get everything no fucking listen to all the people who came before you who fell into the pitfalls and who didn't succeed and who got their hopes up too high and whatever it's worth measuring like the adding the spoonful of salt or whatever Fuck. fuck
0: yeah <laughs> you know? I, I also think like yeah. he's his life is pretty good right now though yeah he owns that bar and stuff and i go see him when i'm there and he seems like it's the bar for him and shit and like uh well,
1: but i think a, a lot of time artists think of like alternate paths for themselves as like being failures if it's not the path that they envisioned i originally. think
0: Both me and him found our ways to like a thing that like a path that is not like, you know, like both of us had these incorrect visions of what is at the end of the road and then figured out dialectically like, oh, no, no, no. It's this other way of living or whatever. And that's why like we're friends and I go see him at his bar, you know,
1: love it. Perfect. Um, let me go pee and then let's close this shit out because I think we got it covered all right
0: oh, we caught up Pause. okay let's do plugs and get out of here what do you got lisa
1: well before i do close uh plugs i wanted to tell you while you're on the road if you get the time on netflix watch creep and creep 2 have you ever seen these movies
0: those are horror movies right yeah no
1: they're horror movies um about a serial killer but it, they're also about artists extremely important why you mad movies need you to watch them we can do multiple episodes on them uh number two is more important but you have to watch one to have the context of why two happens
0: okay you know what i mean yeah
1: uh you'll love them i think we'll be in we'll be in uh other than that uh plugs um The first pizzazz with Gary Goldman was a huge success. I hope you will go to the second one if you're in New York City. It's going to be on May 16th at Baby's All Right in Williamsburg. Um, You can follow me at Luis Diaz Nuts. I'm sure most of you already do, but um, on my bios on any of my platforms, you can get the ticketing link to go to that. That's my only promo. How about you?
0: Um, I'm still on tour with Eve Six. Come see me on tour with Eve Six. Um, All the dates are all over the internet and twitter and eve sex's website and i think that's all i've got for quite i can't
1: wait um i think may 4th is the new york day right that you're here
0: yeah star wars day
1: yeah uh uh may the fourth be with you (laughs) is the day (laughs) at le poisson rouge in the village So I'm going to be there. I'm going with Allison. Anybody else? Come hang out. I think it'll be super fun. We'll get to relive our youth if you are my age.
0: Yeah, and there's an after party, too. Can't wait. Cool. All right. And I also want to plug Pig. You should watch Pig. Watch Pig. While you creep. And Creep. All right. (laughs)